Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season four, episode 21, Prime Evil. Okay, guys, we got this. I feel like this is the last, like, really like hard to get through episode before we get to some really good ones. So we can do it. <laughs> How are we all feeling? <laughs> I'm so ready for this season to be over. It's I honestly feel like seasons two and three went by faster than this season. Mm-hmm. Like combined. I feel like it's one of those things where you complain so much about bad episodes and then you get into an entire season arc that is just sucky and some good episodes in that. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, Go Fish. I will never talk crap about you ever <laughs> again. I am so sorry. Teacher's pet? No, not that one. That was not one that came <laughs> to my head. Um, no. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, the gingerbread. I'm like, so sorry, gingerbread. I, I understand you now. I get you. You have some good themes. Can we go back to that, please? I really – I don't want us to become the podcast that just hates on the show and stuff. I want to find good and joy and like, you know, the stuff that we love about Buffy. But I promise you guys so much of my negativity will be gone next season. No, for real. <laughs> it is genuinely focused on the season. And I know that some people will say that and they get to like season six and they're like hating on it. I promise I won't. I will not hate on it. I will hate on certain things. Well, here, here's the difference. the whole thing, like season four. The difference is season four overall arc and idea of it is so boring and just dull and not well fleshed out and just poorly done. Whereas season six, there are some storylines that I don't love, but it strikes up some really interesting conversations, mm -hmm. which is the purpose mm -hmm. of season six. So for that, I will give it props because I will have endless things to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting. Season six is incredibly interesting. Uh, it could be pretty rough, but it is, in essence, an interesting season. So like, I feel like it'll be better to go through in the uh, I don't know in the realm or the idea of having a podcast where we have to analyze the show so I feel like we'll be fed a lot more yeah I agree and I mean I want to I want to enjoy talking about the episodes and that's not to say that there aren't some episodes in season four that are fun to watch and maybe I would yeah. enjoy watching these episodes more if we weren't coming at it from an analytical true or a critical evaluation standpoint. Um, but I think especially coming after season three and then having those two faith episodes, it's just hard because I want to bring something new and fresh to the listeners. I want to be able to pull out stuff that no one else is talking about, be able to tie into things later in the future. And and uh, the part of the fun too is talking about like the foreshadowing to the end of the season and where this is all going. And this season doesn't have a lot of that. It just is very shallow in a lot of ways and each there aren't a lot of layers to it and so it makes a lot of the commentary that we have very surface level cuz you can't get that much deeper or at least to the depth that we have in 
previous episodes. Um, so I'm looking forward to season five because it's got layers upon layers of stuff and even six and seven to a certain degree. Um, but I will say Prime Evil did surprise me. This episode actually was a little bit deeper than some of the other episodes have been. There's actually some interesting things that happen that it, I mean, it, it pivots and becomes more character centric. We actually get to talk a little bit more about the characters. Um, and I, I mean, we do have Adam and Riley here, but we don't have to talk about them as much. So I don't know. I have some fun things to say, um, but I'm just, re- I'm really looking forward to Restless, man. And I know that's like next time, but uh, yeah, it's going to be so good. Um, okay. But speaking of which, uh, we have come up with a date for our live spoiler section. We're going to be recording Sunday, June 4th, Pacific Standard Time. So that will be 4 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Central Time, and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yep. And then for all of you guys who are in different time zones somewhere else, sorry, you'll have to kind of Google that one. But yes, June 4th, save that for your guys' calendars. We will give you guys information as we get closer to that and stuff. I'm hoping this year, we'll see, fingers crossed, we can actually live stream on Instagram and not necessarily on like Riverside. So you guys will be able to uh, follow along a lot more there because I know not everybody's able to get onto Riverside and stuff. And yeah, so we'll give you guys more information as we get closer. Um, I'm really excited about that. So with that, this episode, Primeval. So it was written by David Fury. It was directed by James A. Contner. And we've talked about James A. Contner a lot. So I just decided to do like a quick search on him. He has directed so many episodes of Buffy and even Angel. Apparently, he directs over around 20 episodes of Buffy total from seasons two all the way up through seven. He also directs 13 episodes over on Angel total throughout the entirety of the series. Um, his claim to fame, I guess you could say, he was a camera operator for the Superman movie with Christopher Reeves, like the original mm. Superman movie, which is kind of cool. And he was also a camera operator in the movie Jaws with Steven Spielberg, which is kind of cool. No yeah. And I was like, what are you doing over here on Buffy, James? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, this episode aired May 16th, 2000. All right. So the word prime evil refers to belonging to the earliest time, referencing the calling upon the first slayer and her powers. It's meant to be a direct contrast to Adam, who was named after the first man, which I think is kind of cool. You have a battle of the first slayer and the, well, I say quote unquote, the first man. Um, in a meta way, it's the show's feminist message of fighting back against the very roots of the patriarchy, which ties into, if you know about Restless in the next episode ties into that tremendously, which is going to be really, really fun to talk about. Um, And it's also why they're intentionally showing the initiative being dismantled and destroyed in this episode to show how the power, the feminine power of the Slayer is defeating the patriarchy and the very misogynistic message that that is trying to push. Um, Douglas Petrie describes the style of the episode as a mix of the secret agent James Bond series and the science fiction action film The Matrix. Buffy's performance of the spell that protects her from Adam's bullets is particularly reminiscent of Neo stopping bullets coming in his direction in the 1999 film. Petrie says, we went the big budget Bond movie route, but it's so foreign to the core of our series. That's really Riley's gig. That's not what Buffy is about, and that's why we had Buffy's episode afterwards, which is really interesting. But also, why are we having an episode that you don't feel like feels like Buffy Mm -hmm. in a show about Buffy? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so weird. It's so weird to be like, oh, we had Riley's episode first. I'm like, 
when did we ever have a Tara episode? Or when did we ever have a Cordelia episode? Or when did we ever, like, mm-hmm. we had centric episodes, but we didn't have episodes that didn't feel like Buffy just to prop up that person. Right. Well, even when it came to the whole Angelus arc in season two, they still made it about Buffy so much. Even though they were talking about Angelus's backstory and all this other stuff, you still saw the Buffy and all of it. The finale was so very much about her. Um, it's just weird that like the writers clearly see that they needed to get it back to Buffy, not Riley. There were so many instances where they could have pivoted in this season. So I'm like, ah, guys – it's, it's not like you didn't have options. You had options. Um, anyway, okay, so Petrie says, it wasn't the end of the season. There was one more Buffy-centric story to tell, more an internal journey through the world of magic and mysticism. Primeval was this big, splashy episode, great fun, but also off the center of what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is about. Um, the BBC interviewer asked him, do you think the initiative itself became the real villain of the season, even more so than Adam? And Petrie says, yes, very much so. It was an area that we felt that we needed to explore that we had never explored before. The initiative is a government response and official response. Basically, it's a very organized and male response to the fact that there are demons in the world. Joss may say something different, but my feeling is that it was really a very large and elaborate way of validating Buffy, validating Buffy's approach and her style, the importance of her job and the importance of the Slayer. Yeah, okay, by taking the focus off of Buffy? No. I feel like this is why season four feels so disconnected from the rest of the show why did mm. I have an accent when I said show? Um, <laughs> sure. Um, but it's because it's like, A, there isn't really a finale, if you think about it. Because mm. it's like the finale happens before the ending of the show. And the last episode, while being very cool, isn't really a finale. Like, it's a pause. So it's like the ending of season four feels so odd and unfinished. Mm-hmm. And like, it just... It just doesn't sit because when you think of the rest of the the series, every single ending of the show is insane and it can stand on its Mm -hmm. own. Even the ending of season four or season one, very campy, very fun, but still can stand on its own. Like you can watch that episode and be like, yeah, it's a little kooky, but it like is very well done. Ending of season two is like amazing and just like takes your breath away and season three somehow finds a way to one up it. And then you get to this one and you're just like, what is going on? Like, how is this even the same show? Like, I don't understand why they chose to have restless be the ending of the, this, like the season. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I just feel like it never really flowed. Well, and I mean, we'll talk about this next time, but Joss did not like the direction that season four went. And so he wrote Restless as a finale to ground the season and to bring the focus back on the characters because he felt had strayed too far from the characters, which I kind of agree with. It just got too big. And the focus of the show has always been its characters. That's its strength. And so Restless really brings them back into focus. Um, But I think what you're trying to say, Leah, is almost every other finale of the show, with the exception of season six, you could have ended the show there and it would have been fine. This this one does not feel like you could have done that. Uh, Passion the Nerd talks about how this season has been talking about personal versus 
institutional identity. The initiative is obviously the biggest reflector of that, but the show has shown us this in many different forms. He says, the season has actually been loaded to the brim with groups asking for conformity and submission, including college itself. There's the faux intellectuals from Beer Bad, the gentlemen from Hush, the Wiccan group that didn't actually do any Wiccan stuff and made fun of Tara. And in this episode, Adam reveals that Walsh's last stage for the initiative was to break everyone into parts and reassemble them into one common uniform shape ultimately monstrous for not being individual, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. And kind of, it did kind of bring everything to a close with the Adam storyline. It just, again, one dimensional, very surface level. It's it's not compelling in the least, and there was not really an emotional core to this whole thing. Um, this episode had a lot to do. It had a ton of stuff that needed to come together. And it did some things well and other things I think it did as well as it could have. But again, I'm going to say this I'm going to say this probably for the last time. If Maggie Walsh had been here, this would have been a very different ending and a very different finale. Um, And I really, really wish she had stuck around for that. Um, I will say there are moments of this episode where the writers backpedaled on things and made the characters come to some ridiculous conclusions based on very little evidence. It felt like they just rushed this together so they could get to Restless. Um partially maybe because they didn't have enough material to extend this out another episode, which is why they have Restless. I don't know. But it just – it was a little sloppy in comparison to some of the other finales. Usually I get so stoked for the finale of a season, and I just was so overwhelmingly underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> overwhelmingly underwhelmed. Well done. So many fun surprises that I forgot about in this episode. I'm excited to talk about them. <laughs> oh, you mean like um, Forrest being alive? <laughs> I said surprises. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it when it comes. Oh, man. Okay. So we started the episode in the what's left of the high school. Buffy's looking for Riley since the last episode of him just randomly going up to Adam. We're like supposed to accept that as if we know he's not going to be like, there's no way he's going to be the villain. It's like, why else would he go to him other than for information? Like, it's very clear. Anyway. um, Yeah. Buffy going to the one person she can rely on, remember? And oh my gosh, Mr. Reliable is not there. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What do we think the meta of that is? Maybe Riley is not reliable. The metaphors in the show are just chopped to you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> foreshadowing, Tabby, oh foreshadowing. <laughs> and I still don't even know where Adam's lair is. It's like in the tunnels, the sewers, like what it even It literally is just that? says Adam's lair. A canal underneath yeah, the ground. I think it's supposed to be in the cave system that connects into the initiative. I don't understand. Everything connects underground in this universe. Yeah, he's not even a vampire. He doesn't need to like go out of the sunlight. So why? Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, Adam's talking to Riley saying that he's he can tell he's in turmoil and he's his brother. So he knows this. Um, And then he mentions mother in present tense. And we're all like, question mark, question mark. Uh, (laughs) More to that later. (laughs) It's really interesting because the right side of Riley's face is very bruised from his fight with Angel, which I like that little um, continuity, continuity there. Yes, it was great. I was like, yes, that's right. You got beat up last episode. It was <laughs> glorious. <laughs> um, but it is interesting because it kind of looks a bit like the metal on the one side of Adam's face, which is also on the right side of his face. And so I think 
I think the show is highlighting their similarities, especially with like the brothers and the children of Maggie Walsh. It's just Walsh. too much. It's too much. Like, <laughs> like I, I get what they're trying to do, but it's right. not working for me. It's not penetrating. It's not. It's not working. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I can't, guys. Like this whole, like every time Adam speaks this episode, every time any one of the zombies speak in this episode, they're saying the gosh dang same thing i'm like can one person say and then we're done can we stop saying brother and um mommy and mother and like all these different words that make me want to literally never watch this show ever again like it's too much um adam starts controlling him saying there's a chip in his chest from mommy um and then it's still like rambling Yada, yada, yada. Well, okay. Do you guys remember with me talking about how there was like a parallel, especially in the episode The Initiative, between Spike and Riley? And this is now the metaphor being made literal, how they're like subtly trying to compare these two characters. And now we realize it's because Riley actually has a chip just like Spike does. And so there's like the literal, they both have a chip, but also the metaphorical of how someone can manipulate you based on your feelings for them and how. Like Riley's been programmed to do as he's told. And so like there's this idea of like both of them have been operant conditioned and you can't change their nature and stuff. So they're well, we'll talk about it more later. But I just think it's interesting how the show was showing that in the earlier seasons. And now like it's revealed that Riley does actually have a chip. It's a real thin comparison, I will say. I was like, I because I I got the whole chip thing. I just was like, what are they trying to? to draw as similarities i was actually very confused so thank you for clearing that up sarah i was like very lost but it's also like it feels like the show is like scratching up like nothing to try and get like riley to be comparable to members to make us feel like attached to him sure when they could have just written actual good storylines that made us attached to him like, if he yeah. had actual connections with characters in the show, it would have been different. If there was a way that he tied into other characters beyond Buffy, it would have been interesting. But they didn't do that. So now they have to, like, throw in these things to make him try and relatable to Spike. Like, um, maybe don't make the love interest relatable to Spike. Maybe that's where you're yeah. going wrong. <laughs> right. Well, they did that all the way back in episode seven, and they were doing that to make the initiative out to be the big bad guy because the initiative ultimately makes Adam. The problem is, is that this Spike, we actually kind of care because we understand why Spike wants his chip out. And we know like for personal reasons, he wants to kill Buffy, even like for like, don't kill Buffy. We understand. We see him suffering. We see all this other stuff versus Riley. Again, we've talked about this before, but we don't know what Riley wants apart from Buffy. And somehow he wants to be a part of the initiative, but not be a part of the initiative. Like Riley's wants aren't very clear. And because we have no personal attachment to what he wants, it makes it really hard to connect with him. So Adam says that humans are weak and blind. I'm like, hmm, I think I've seen this film before. This is such a classic, like, sci fi. A theme where it's like let's have the robots be like let's make it let's create an army of robots because humans <laughs> are not reliable because of their emotions and then at the very end they realize oh no human like emotions are good because it gives us passion right. and love and that's how we win because we can think outside of ourselves in the moment and we can use that to our advantage and i'm like oh my word i've I I know this. Like this is classic stuff here, and they're not like usually. Buffy will take something that's very like classic 
and something that we're used to, but then spins it on its head. Right. Yeah, but it's not doing any of that. It's like falling into exactly what it has been subverting this whole time, which is a little bit frustrating because if we were expecting this the first four seasons, this would be fine. I'd be expecting this. But it feels like it's like – it's like – I don't know. It's like if you've watched those Scream movies, the whole point of them is to like subvert horror tropes, make fun of them, and like do them better. And it's like enjoyable in that sense. And then if you watch – like the third one gets a lot of crap because even though I think it's really fun, it's a lot more campy and plays into the actual horror tropes they usually make fun of. Um, And it just reminds me of that. I'm like, okay, if I can go in knowing that I'm going to be watching that, I can change my mindset. But it's like I'm expecting this caliber – of the show and it's like not meeting that especially for our finale there's also a massive plot hole or i shouldn't say massive plot hole adam's just stupid because okay yeah adam knows that spike still has impulses still has a need to hurt and hunt which is why he recruits spike to divide the scoobies which means the chip only works on a physical level, but not a mental level, which Adam knows, which is why he's holding it over Spike's head. But then he tells Riley that he has no power. He should know that he can't change Riley's mind or his will, yet he's convinced that he will eventually want to do exactly what he wants him to do. And it doesn't, like, Adam's not thinking this all the way through. Like, there's a massive plot hole in his plan. Um, All Things Philosophical says, what Adam fails to realize is that if he could overcome the initiative's plan for himself. So Adam's like, hey, the initiative wanted me to do this, and I'm not doing that. Can't Riley also overcome Adam's plan as well? Because he's comparing them. So, like, they made Adam just really stupid. Uh, We find out that... Spike had some flaw in his plan with separating the the No, Scoobies. that was the writers messing up. That mm-hmm. was the writers messing up. And you know what? I when I was watching the episode, I was like, "No, they screwed up there." And sure enough, according to writer David Fury and director James A. Contner on the DVD commentary, it was a mistake that Buffy was separated from her friends in the previous episode because Buffy needed the encrypted disk information from Willow. Thus, the error was corrected by having it be a flaw in Spike's plan and subsequent having him push Buffy back towards her friends early. Mm-hmm. Writers. I, like, I literally think they're making think they the gave season up. up. They, gave they, it, <laughs> they gave it up for real. They're like, okay, guys, I'm so done. This is not working. Oh. And they were like, shoot, we forgot this huge part of the finale. It's I'm so dead. stupid and it pulls you out of the episode. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're better Sorry, than guys. I really told myself I'd go fair in t- coming into this episode, but like, there's so many things that are so lackluster. Right. And I, again... I don't want to crap on a show just for the sake of crapping on it, but legitimately, these episodes are not written super duper well. There are aspects that are good, and we will talk about those, but the Adam scenes are just, they're poorly done. Poor Giles wakes up from a nasty hangover. I wonder why. Cough, cough. <laughs> um, and Will and Tara are there, and this is just like the awkwardness between everyone. And Tara's just like smiling all like innocently and so sweet. She's um, so pure. We don't deserve Tara, honestly. For real. Well, and then uh, Willow goes in and is like, hey, like, I forgot my laptop and the discs. And Giles is like, yeah, of course. Uh, if you could work somewhere else ever so subtly, that'd be great. Um, even though he <laughs> said like, she wow. could work there. But I was like, this is so obvious. <laughs> and then we see back at the dorm, poor Buffy sitting on the floor all sad because everyone's kind of fractured and not together right now. She looks at a picture of the gang. 
the one that the show pulls out every time the Scoobies are not doing well. I think this is the same one they the had only in picture, Dead Man's Party. The only picture, the one stock picture. Goes to call somebody but then decides um, that she's not going to do that, hangs up, and then grabs weapons. And then poor uh, – okay, I will say Xander's not my favorite character. We all know this. But I actually really enjoyed him in this episode. He was actually one of the pluses of this episode to I me. agree. Yeah. Uh, well, and this this moment kind of reminded me of Prophecy Girl when he was laying on his bed listening to the oh, country yeah. music of pain and then he had Anya yeah. come in. And Anya is so sweet to him. Although like maybe like their I love yous are off screen because like he doesn't say it back. And I'm like, that's the only time where I'm like, Xander, is this like her confessing and you don't say anything? Or is this like a we've talked about this before and I know sort of moment, you know? Right. Well, I wrote in my notes. I was like, this is worse than Buffy's tell me about it from the last episode. (laughs) She's like, you're a good person and a good boyfriend and I'm in love with you. And he just like lies there. You could chalk it up to him being so depressed and not really processing, but it's just like, oh, if your girlfriend says I love you, like either say I love you back or you say I'm not ready. Like you say something. You know, all of yeah. the relationships this season are just traumatizing to watch. Like, <laughs> for real. Like, Willow and Tara is the best of this season, but like sometimes watching like how their story plays out is just so like, oh my gosh, like please just like, just like start like the miscommunications and the innuendos. <laughs> I'm like, uh. and then it's like then you get to like um, Xander and Anya, and you're like. I feel like let this girl down. Please, please let her go. Let her go. And then it's just like Riley and Buffy. And I'm like, please, please leave. Like, please, Riley, get off my screen. Again, this is the season of transitions and it's a rough transition, let me tell you. Oh, gosh. Back at the tunnels, Buffy has her axe, finds the lair of Adams, his computers and all of his gadgets and gizmos and who, what's it's and all that stuff. Um, And then... We flip back to the initiative, and then Adam's there, apparently. Making um, Nazi references, because okay, uh, if you don't know what to do with your villain, make him as bad exactly, as a Nazi. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Then we'll actually be scared of them. <gasps> they mentioned the Nazis. Oh, oh my gosh. Maybe he's a threat. The last episode before he dies. Let's throw that in there. He brings poor Riley with him, who's like mentally comatose, can't do anything, is in the lab, and then bum bum bum, zombie Maggie comes out. What what show are we watching? What is this? This does not feel like Buffy. A badly written sci-fi movie on the sci-fi channel Uh that you would watch at like 7 p.m. because there's nothing else on and you just laugh at the entire time. This feels like a fever dream. This like, I think that if I'd never watched this episode again, this would be like a Mandela effect for me. Like, you would mention that and I'd be like, huh? I remember that, but I don't think it actually – like, this is so weird. Freaking zombie forest makeup is like – it actually, like, it triggers some sort of, like, gag reflex in me. Like It looks like he yellow. vomited all over himself. I can't. That's what it I looks like. I literally can't. <laughs> and I already detest him, so seeing him like that makes me, like, physically repulsed. Okay, but what's crazy to me is that this is Lindsay Krause. This is the actual actress. So you have flipping Maggie Walsh in this episode. Mm-hmm. Why is Adam here? Like, oh, and they knew they had to stop filming with her long before the season ended. So they must have filmed these scenes in advance. So they knew where they were going. Like, gosh, guys. And then talk about bad, like, like one-liners. Everything that comes out of Forrest's mouth, zombie Forrest is just the most cringeworthy thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, Riley goes like, oh, God, he's like, 
God has nothing to do with it. I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, actually go and die. Like, for real. Like, someone needs to burn his body because he'll come back again. Like, for real. <laughs> okay. Not to like uh, – I mean, yes, I agree with everything you said. Um, I literally wrote my notes. I was like, well, so much for Forrest being dead, LOL. Um, <laughs> I totally forgot. Like, we were rejoicing last episode. And I was like, yay. <laughs> and then he shows up. I'm like, I freaking forgot. I literally think that this – the season is so traumatic for me that, like, the minute I'm out of it, I don't remember any of it. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. block it out. Like, and then I'm rewatching it. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. But then I promise you, once we start season five, I won't remember any details from this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I honestly barely watch this episode ever. Like, a lot of these um, scenes I'm watching for, like, the first time in years because it I don't like rewatch yeah. these these parts are I do, and I just kind of tune them out because I just don't care. Um, I, I could tell you what would have made this moment a lot more emotionally impactful is if Adam had killed Graham and made Graham like a zombie yes. Graham in this moment. I would have been crying. nice. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, poor sweet Graham who didn't do anything wrong, which is like a nice like side character. I'd feel – I'd be like, oh. But yeah. like Rick and Forrest, I'm like, oh, like here we go again. I wanted to um, kind of take a tangent and talk about Leonard Roberts, who actually plays Forrest, because I realized I've never talked about him at all, mostly because I just don't like Forrest. Um, yeah, but sorry, I was like, Leonard. It has nothing to do with you. The right. character just makes me want to like punch. It's not you. It's the character, and I apologize. Right. But I I looked him up because I was like, you know, what else is he in? Is there anything of note to talk about? And I actually found something super duper interesting. Um, and it kind of ties into what we've been talking about, uh, Forrest's role on the show and um, the role of people of color on the show of Buffy and just like the 90s and early 2000s era. So Leonard Roberts is best known for playing Forrest, but also for playing D.L. Hawkins on the first season of a little show called Heroes, which I've never seen Heroes and I didn't know he was on there. But like I remember when Heroes was airing and it was like all the hype. Um, in 2020, at the height of COVID and when things were going on with George Floyd and a lot of Black Lives Matter uh, riots were happening and stuff like that, Roberts actually wrote a piece for Variety discussing his tension on set with his co-star and on-screen wife, Allie Larder, in Heroes. And that resulted in him being fired from the show. Um, I encourage you guys to read the article if you get the chance. Um, I won't talk about the whole thing, but I'm going to summarize some bits of it. Uh, he basically talks about several instances where the creator – directors, and other members of production intentionally limited his role on screen and mitigated his and other POC's faces to the sidelines of promo shots. That's insane. Yeah, no, it gets so much worse. He writes this, after the show was picked up to series, I learned my character had been removed from the pilot and would be introduced in the second episode. I briefly wondered if black folks in the TV game suffered the same fate as our counterparts in pre-Jordan Peele horror films and were the first to go upon a new show's pickup. Because we all know like, there's this stereotype that the black person is the first person to die in a horror movie. That stereotype's there for a reason. Well, it's like they just kind of get the like, minority vote and then they just kind of right. get rid of them because they're not quote unquote important characters. They're expendable. Stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Totally. He says, as production began, I looked forward to sharing my thoughts on my character with the writing staff as I heard other cast members had done the same with theirs. Unfortunately, no such meeting ever materialized. Then I learned that despite the show's three Black series regulars, there were no Black writers on staff. After a particularly odd promotional photo shoot in which all the Black adult series regulars were relegated to the back and sides of photo after photo because we were told we were tall, I was approached by Tim Kring, the the creator of the show. He told me my character would not be introduced in the second episode, but that great ideas were on the way. I sat on the sidelines for the second, third, fourth, and fifth episodes. He was the husband of the main character and wasn't introduced. He, he was a main cast member. He was like What? Yeah, That's he was insane. he was what, he was world? like a main reoccurring character or something. He had a major role. He was supposed to be in the pilot and they cut him out of that. Jeez. Um yeah. He says, finally, I was excited to learn that episode six would mark my debut. When he finally got to shoot scenes with Allie Larder, his on-screen wife, she pitched a fit from having to film a scene where they were just laying next to one another in bed, and she didn't want to kiss or touch him. Like at one point, they asked her to put down her sp- spaghetti straps so that it would look like she was shirtless under the covers, and he was shirtless too. Like he's very respectful the way he talks about it. He's like, they were not asking her to do anything that I wasn't already doing, and like she was wearing spaghetti straps, so it was just going to be like off her shoulders. She pitched a fit, and he. Um, he kind of, there's like one moment where he was talking about how he started like realizing what was happening and he made sure both his hands were above the covers so that no one would oh think, gosh. I know it's awful. That's um, awful. He also found out that she had shot a previous scene with a white actor where she was supposed to seduce him and she's wearing lingerie, like way more scandalous than what she was there. And she had no problems doing that. What? Oh, it, yes. It gets it gets mm, pretty bad. Girl, you're being so obvious. Um, eventually, over the course of that season, his role got reduced and reduced and reduced until he was kind of like – Am I going to get killed off? And he watched the two other non-white characters, like like all the other major non-white characters starting to get killed off. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, am I next? So then he gets then he gets a call by from the creator, the first time he's ever been able to actually talk with the creator about his character. And he's like, Yeah, you're getting killed off. If you want to come talk to my office, you know, we can we can talk about it. So he goes there. He says, Kring, the creator, said he felt my character had been painted into a corner due to the fact that we didn't have chemistry and that any attempt to create a new storyline for DL just felt like the tail wagging the dog. I replied that I found it interesting he had created a world where people flew, painted the future, bent time and space, read minds, erased minds, and were indestructible, yet somehow the potential story solution of my character getting divorced left him utterly confounded. I also questioned how a we issue could be cited as justification for the firing of me, Mm. not us. So then he says, Hammer, I think the director or producer stepped in. He said he needed me to know I was loved and my co-star was hated by many for her behavior, saying it as if I would join in. I didn't. I just wanted to be able to do my job and do it well. Hammer then made it clear he would deny what he said if I went public with said revelation. I pointed out it was absurd to hear that, given that when the meeting concluded, my co-star would be the one with a job, and I would be the one painfully unemployed. Hammer said, I needn't worry, suggesting I would undoubtedly move on from heroes and still be working in 10 years. He says, don't think of this as a situation where the black man loses and the white woman wins, Hammer said. Why would you feel the need to specify that? <laughs> and he sa- he says that was the only time that race was ever mentioned ever mentioned both whether positively or negatively not for my creative contributions 
but because of me being fired. He then says, oh, I know. It's so bad. He then says, it was then proposed I return in season two to complete my character storyline. Kring said he was thinking of a great way to wrap up DL's arc and Hammer assured me when I drove home after my last scene, there would be no doubt what I meant to the hero's family. I said I would wait the scripts and the meeting ended. DL Hawkins' death was saved for my last day of filming and involved me throwing my body off camera just as an assailant raised a gun and fired. It was supposed to be a random gun shooting of all things. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I know. It's just tasteless. That's disgusting. He says the shot ended not with me, but with Nikki's face, his on-screen wife, alone in the frame, splattered with DL's blood. It took one take. Nailed it. What a pro, the director said. Yeah. That's lunch, the AD said. My co-star gave me a goodbye embrace, the most we have ever touched on or off camera, and everyone left. As I walked to my car, Dennis Hammer's words echoed in my head. He was right. There was no doubt what I meant to the family. After Heroes became a success, our scripts came with a warning of our immediate dismissal should any material ever be disclosed. And they would say, remember, in all caps, we're a family, and family is only as strong as the secrets we keep, each script read. What? Yeah. <laughs> that is <laughs> like mortifying. Yeah. So the, the last section that I'm going to read, he says, in the years after my time on Heroes, the burden of carrying the secret of my experience had a profoundly negative effect on how I interacted with the world. Professionally, I struggled with an internalization of anger and defeat unlike any I had ever experienced in my career. Realizing I had no agency to demand anything from a work environment in which I was expected to perform left me incensed. Knowing that every other future work endeavor could potentially turn out the same way left me exhausted. Personally, carrying the burden led me to withdraw from colleagues, friends, and loved ones due to my belief that I was a failure for not being able to somehow just be better and rise above it all. My voice felt muted and my light dimmed. Fighting against the isolation brought on by both was at times all-consuming. I was ashamed and the shame I felt wasn't the result of suffering the indignity, but for a fleeting moment actually being surprised by it. It would be 10 years before I would become a series regular again. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That and is he, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Oh, the like the saddest part was the fact that he's like he goes he's he felt shame because he was surprised that he was treated unequally and he was and that's the saddest part to me. He was like I shouldn't have been surprised because of course I'm going to be treated unequally by being a black man. Like how sad. How sad. It's just crazy hearing stories like that. And I know that this comes from such a place of privilege, but it's insane hearing that blatant racism still very prominent i know it is um but obviously you know i don't experience that racism um and so it's just unbelievable to me that it's not subtle like i feel like a lot of times when i see or hear of racism um it's very you know subtle or passive aggressive or it's not it's not something that you could like kind of tell someone and almost like sue it's just like it's like passive like Mm -hmm. um but that is just so obvious and blatant and yeah oh my gosh not that one is better than the other I mean they're both terrible but it's just like right I just can't even imagine what it's like to like you know to go to a job and to fully earned your place to be there like someone else and to be treated like oh like like a horse that's brought on for like a scene 
like yeah. or an animal like that's just so awful I, I just thought that was so applicable with um what we've been talking about with Buffy and I also think I mean he doesn't mention his role in Buffy at all but I am I'm sure that this was probably really discouraging after having a role like Forrest on Buffy because the entire point of Forrest's arc was to prop up Riley a white man and he gets killed off you know and so it Forrest also had no arc. We knew nothing about Forrest other than the fact that he wanted to be in the initiative and he wanted Riley to be in the initiative. That's all we know about Forrest. That's not a fully fleshed out character at all. Yeah. So I just I I know this is talking about heroes, but this is a problem on Buffy as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's relevant. Oh man, well now I'm gonna feel bad about crapping on his character <laughs> this <is the> episode. <laughs> I know. It has I'm nothing sorry. to do with him. I just I'm sorry, but I don't like Forrest. And I have it's to be okay. real about that. <laughs> crap on the writers, crap on Joss, because yes. they wrote Forrest this way. Not the actor's fault at all. Leonard he just was, was just given doing... his scripts. Yeah. Yep. He was doing what he was told to do. And I'm glad you got paid. But for it's it. also <laughs> like you know it's bad when you look at this show and be like Wow, this show handled racism better than the other ones. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, like, right. that's just so sad. Anyway, okay. So Buffy runs into Spike in the tunnels, and then he slips up and mentions that he knows about the drift between her and Willow, and Buffy clocks it immediately. Um, and then back in Tara's room, we have uh, Will start- still trying to figure out the disc situation, um, and then all of a sudden – out of nowhere, it just closed her in. She wasn't even finished what she was doing, which is a little bit suspicious. Um, and then the phone rings. Terry answers. <laughs> this part was cute. This is the one plus of like not watching some episodes because I forget about these like small moments. Right. Because like Tara's like, oh, of course she's here. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, let me see. <laughs> I know. I was like, how respectful of her to respect her girlfriend's boundaries and check with her first. That is a really healthy relationship right there. But also the fact that she's not like giving Buffy the cold shoulder in this moment, like over the phone call. Like she's very excited that like Buffy's like reaching out to talk to Willow when she could have like sat there and been like, why are you calling? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Okay. But also – Okay, so if Adam wanted those disks to be decrypted at a certain point, like they would automatically do so or Adam would trigger it somehow, then it's inevitable that Willow would have brought that information to Buffy, right? Yeah, there's so many flaws in the system. I've stopped analyzing them. Why does Spike need to plant the idea in Buffy's (laughs) or the Scooby's heads? Oh, right, because the writers want them to figure out that it's Spike. As stupid as it is, this does Mm -hmm. show once again that Spike and the other villains underestimate Buffy and the Scoobies. Yep. Dumb. Um, so back in the 314 lab area in the initiative, we have Riley trying to, to rationalize with zombie mo- mommy. I mean, Maggie. Um, zombie mommy? <laughs> 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 and then I belly laughed. Forrest goes, mm-mm. Oh, I wrote wrong. that's a little fruity. Wasn't that fruity? His fingers, like he's like, I, like that's mm-mm. what I be saying, y'all. I was like, guys. <laughs> He is in love with Riley, but also like his zombie version of him is still acting like that. Very yassified. <laughs> but I was also like, I was like, what is that? Like for real? Like he's supposed to be a zombie and he's like, Mm-mm, got that wrong. 
He's actually not a zombie. Okay, so um, All Things Philosophical says, Forrest's body is not dead. He has become like Adam. He has been joined with a slain demon, a hybridization which has altered not only his behavior, but his mind as well. He now has the morality and aggressive instincts of demons coupled with the intelligence and memories of the human forest. This gives him a completely redefined sense of self. So there's no human conscience weighing him down. Like a vampire, he's been reborn as a demon-human hybrid. So it's there, like it's likely that he, both he and Adam don't actually have souls, but it's still forest, but it's forest mixed with a demon. So he's kind of like a vampire, if that makes sense. And then Zombie Maggie sedates Riley so he can't move still. Zombie Mommy. <laughs> zombie Mommy. Uh, what is it? Hybrid for hybrid brother. It's like a whole family reunion here. This is great. Aww, how cute. <laughs> um, and then we see outside of the college campus, the whole gang awkwardly comes together. Um, they mention that Anya and Terry felt uncomfortable and unwelcome, which is completely fair. Everyone should be – they should be figuring this out between them first. And then the significant others can come in. Um, and they they solve this pretty quickly, I will say. Like, I feel like for being a gang that, like, has been tied to the hit for the past couple of seasons, I was thankful that they were able to kind of clock the issue with Spike um, getting between them pretty quickly because that would be really annoying if the whole episode was, like, them being like, okay, we're good and then clearly not being good. I, I appreciate, again, how intuitive Buffy is and that she, like, comes to the conclusions really fast. But, again, it just felt like – I don't know. it it That is in character for Buffy, but it was also kind of like, all right, you, now the writers have her see this and not before and right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, they figure out that, like, Spike is working with Adam. Shocker, shocker. And then they figured out that they need to go into the lab, into the initiative um, – the secret one and they figured out the plan is going to be a whole demons versus soldier scenario and our conclusion is that we miss the mayor yeah okay there actually was one line cut out of this entire scene where they're talking um that i was like that's probably a good thing that they cut that out um okay so jow says we need to warn the initiative buffy says they won't listen to me willow says riley buffy says he's a deserter anyway he he got some bad news, kind of took off. So that's in the episode. And then they jump straight to Xander saying, I'm confused. Adam has his evil plan, blah, blah, blah. Well, there was one more line of Buffy's that they cut out. Um, so Buffy says, he got some bad news, kind of took off, which is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Dead. She's like, yeah, Riley's gone. Jeez. He told me he loved me. I don't really care. Whatever. I'll do this without him. <laughs> Why would you write that? <laughs> the writers really showing their ass and how they feel about Riley. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, good, he's gone. We don't if have I'm to write him." I'm looking at the um, one of the scripts online, and this script like uh, has like certain words censored. <laughs> one of the ones that they have censored is "gang," and then <laughs> another one is they'll you like they'll say like, "Oh, cut to this shot or this scene or whatever," and every time it's a shot, it's like X. anything having to do with guns or gangs man like smoking is bad kids (laughs) (laughs) also okay the next scene adam being like she's coming i can feel it what how what what? how how like what is this (sighs) you're supposed to be made out of like like computer and like status and like 
or like statistics and knowledge. Like how could you sense a human essence coming? Like that doesn't make well, any sense. He's got bits of demon a part of him as well. So maybe some sort of like but demon demons that can't can... sense when the slayer is coming. That doesn't make it'd be different if he like, he, I could smell her. Like that'd be different. She's also a seer. So maybe he has some sort of seer. I think you're thinking too much about it, Sarah. I'm trying to make this was a stupid line. I'm trying. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'm used to the show having more than this, and they're giving yeah. me nothing. <laughs> and then, oh, well, in the lab, like Adam's like talking to. Uh, well, he Spike. well he says that like yeah. Well, he says like okay, I can feel Buffy coming, and then Spike's like, okay, okay, cool. Can I have my chip out now? And he's like, once we figure everything out and Buffy is here, then we will. I'm like, yeah, in the middle of your fighting, for sure, you're going to get your chip out right now, Spike. For sure. I really love how much Riley had to do in this episode. Like the dynamics, the facial dynamics, the amount of like moving around, like him just sitting and glaring in the corner was super compelling to me. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that sarcasm, sir? That is sarcasm. He looked like a sullen toddler the entire time. (laughs) He's like, man, what? What a great two weeks of work for me. <laughs> I could just sit here and give different facial expressions. Oh, they were the same. It was all the same facial expression. It was – oh, you can't see me well, yet. He, I'm like glaring at Tabby. He showed like a, a little bit of emotion when like Adam was going to kill Buffy. I clapped that's that. That's true. He did say Buffy, so that's good. It <laughs> is funny because they, they were like, you know what? Let's make this episode Riley-centric again and like, you know, really wrap up his arc. But, you know, he's going to be paralyzed for three-fourths of it and can just sit there and say nothing. This will be great and so compelling. Like, when it's what the in whole, the world? Like, you're right, sir. It's the whole season arc is basically about Riley. And he's and just sitting there. he's given nothing this episode. Yeah, he's you're so right for that. nothing. Oh I know. Gosh. I am right. I was just like, this is <laughs> – this is compelling stuff, man. I'm just riveting, glued oh. to the edge of my seat, just like Riley is. <laughs> they really edged us for like some sort of like great resolution for Riley's character and then just like nothing at the end. Mm. He he ripped the chip out of himself, you know, like wow, he he chose he chose free will. Yay, Riley. <laughs> when his girlfriend's getting brutalized, yeah, that's free will. Yeah, poor <laughs> Buffy like slammed around in every direction and Riley finally comes in there and does something. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, we're not there yet. Yeah, anyway. I'm like, all right. And then she kills him. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> in Giles' house, the gang's all together now and they figure out a plan that was Xander's idea. And you can see how like happy he is that he like gave a good suggestion and everyone's like, Xander, that was good. <laughs> Okay, no, this part was actually, I will say where this episode shines the most is the part with the Scoobies, especially once it comes to like the conjoining spell and the magic and stuff, because there's so much that has been built up with this from like, we've been talking, I mean, (laughs) this is kind of a spoiler, but we've been kind of talking about, you know, the spirit, the heart, the mind for forever, just because I felt like that was kind of important in talking about the characterization of the whole thing. But When we've been talking about all of that, this is what we're referencing is the fact that like each of the characters represents an aspect of Buffy on a meta level, um, but then here kind of in also a physical level. So the way they wrote this was just – it was so – it was so brilliant. So they're trying to decide how they're going to – like what spell they're going to use. And Giles talks about a paralyzing spell. I'm afraid I can't do the incantation for one of those. Will is like, well, don't you have to speak Sumerian? So Giles says – I can speak Sumerians. That's the part that they need Giles for. He says the difficulty is I we need an experienced witch to do that. That's Willow's part. And then it was Xander that brings it all together. 
And I really, really like that. And like you mentioned, like Xander doesn't include himself when he's referencing everyone's strengths. He says we need mm-hmm. Bobby's Slayer strength, Giles's multilingual know-how, and Willow's witchy power. He, it's like he doesn't think he's useful. And like he tells Anya. But he is. The fact that he puts together this and gives a helpful suggestion and then Giles validates that, it shows that Xander actually is a valuable member of the gang and it foreshadows his need as Buffy's heart, which I thought was so cool. It was like a clever way of kind of like bringing that together before they actually got to the spell. So they decide to go through the entrance of the like frat house, initiative frat house thing. Um and then they're like, okay, we can't, th- can't go through like the full body scan. I guess I'm just going to break the glass. How perfect is it that it's like literally just a glass thin layer that you can just yeah, break through? If, but it, isn't that technically an elevator? You know how thick those elevator doors are? Like we've seen from the inside of this before. It's big, thick elevator doors with like – yeah, when she broke through, it was like a thin sheet of – glass. I was uh-huh. like, okay, suspending disbelief. Uh, I just, yeah, I just have to keep moving on. Otherwise, I'll be sitting at every scene being like, oh, so how does this work? <laughs> sometimes I think about, like, trying to explain to people the show. I'm like, sometimes you just have to suspend your belief. Like, sometimes you just, like, you have to understand that the show is better than this. Like, you, it's just yeah. like, it has its bad moments. It's just like, oh, it's so rough. The thing is, Leah, like, the show has been this cheesy all along and has had bad set design and, like, It just has better design. writing. That's why exactly. you're able to overlook it. Also, the lighting has been a little bit darker, so you don't notice the flaws as much. But with how bright everything is, you're like, ah, I can It's see when the storyline is crap that I'm also forced to see the low budget on everything else. So I'm like, ugh. You know, like, I don't know. It's different when you're watching, like, kind of like a crappy Marvel movie, but, like, they have really good uh, special effects. So I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. But, like, the (laughs) storyline sucks. (laughs) Right. Which I will watch anything as long as it has a good storyline. Like, I don't care if it's, like, crappy graphics or whatever. But, like, yeah. This one, I'm like, okay. It's giving me – it's giving nothing at this point. It's giving messy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Chaotic. (laughs) Um, okay, what do we call this? Is this like elevator shaft? Like what is this called? Like what is this? Yes. This okay. is the elevator shaft cuz um, they broke I guess okay, so I guess technically Okay, Mission Impossible. I have trauma from Mission Impossible though, not going to lie. <laughs> Anytime I see an elevator shaft, I always think someone's going to get squished from the uh, like yeah. another elevator. Like as a kid that actually scared me so much. <laughs> well, okay, thankfully that doesn't happen in this episode. This is yeah. or in this scene. This is probably the one of the best scenes of the episode, honestly. It was refreshing. I was like, where did yeah. this come from? This it's is because so good. It's just the Scoobies and they're having mm-hmm. those heart-to-hearts and those good moments. I was like, yes, this is what we've been needing. Like, we had like a pretty decent conversation with like Buffy and Willow a couple episodes when she came out to her. But like, mm-hmm. there's always like that like shock factor that you have to get through with like on Buffy's end. But this one was like right. the solidification of like, yeah, we had the hard conversation but just so you know, and I'm reminding you, I love you and I want you in my life. And like, you know, it's just so sweet. This is like, I think this might be one of the best communication moments in the entire series between Willow and Buffy. I love it. Well, I both love of them that. are owning things too. Like, exactly. Like, like Buffy sat there and it's like, I've been really distracted. And then Willow's like, well, like being the slayer, like that, that does happen. Like she, and she doesn't say it in like a snarky way. She says it in like a, I understand, I know you sort of way. And then Buffy's like, no, like. Like with Riley, that's what I'm talking about. Um, They're validating each other too in the midst of it. Yeah. 
and then they hug Xander, and then that part was sweet, and like Giles is up there watching. Like <laughs> Xander's like, oh God, we're gonna die. That's his first thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then they open up a door and initiative soldiers are just waiting for them. They could have just opened it and then shot them. They're like, guys, we hear someone coming up the elevator shaft. Quick. This will be funny. Let's Pull wait your until guns. they open yeah. up the door. <laughs> Surprise. For real. So in the, the lab, we have Adam and Spike watching the security and they watch them get taken out. And then whoop-de-doo, the whole gang is there. I also just don't understand that like Forrest pops up and they're like fighting or whatever. And then like – Adam's like, uh, like, let him go. I'm like, what? Why would you just like let him go? I don't get it. He says there's nowhere left to run. He has sealed all the exits. So he knows he's trapped in the initiative. And so he's thinking, I'm going to release all of the other demons. And then the initiative and the demons are going to fight as long as Buffy. He's like, there's there's no way he's going to survive. But hasn't this. he run the statistics on Spike who killed two slayers? Like, hasn't you know he run I mean? the statistics on Buffy and on Riley? Yeah. And like, Adam's just stupid, honestly. For real. Yeah. I know you would think for someone who's like half computer and like this kind of Frankenstein type thing, like that he would be like way more smart than he actually is. Like, he gets nothing done. Yeah, he's he just the talks most useless too much. villain, honestly. I'm like, yeah, he's oh, worse shut than the master. Up. Master wasn't even that bad. He was just kind of camp, but he wasn't that bad. The master actually killed Buffy. What what can Adam yeah. say? He, he killed a little boy and Maggie and Forrest, like zippity doo dah. Like <laughs> that's not yeah. hard. <laughs> so the colonel's like going through their stuff and is like, you guys bring all these weapons in, and then brings out a gourd, and everyone's like so confused. <laughs> I thought it was funny though. He was like, Well, we're gonna take all of our um taser blasts and all of our like weapons and we're gonna blast him and then i'm like oh my gosh everyone's like no well, sorry adam gets that. off he's on gonna that. get juiced up <laughs> yeah for real he's gonna be like yes do it again <laughs> you you found the spot <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> he starts getting so sexual immediately they're like oh okay <laughs> no that's how it felt his face yeah. i was like oh that's Ew. worse than riley's orgasm face <laughs> oh no traumatized seriously and then we see that down below they're using technology to let all the monsters out um and they start fighting and killing a lot of the lab workers rest in peace them probably like part-time workers so like i don't get paid enough for this (laughs) (laughs) okay but like why are you also living in sunnydale (laughs) i always think about that i'm like there's so much going on in sunnydale like why don't you leave like maybe they're getting paid really really well or something or they commute they don't live in sunnydale it's like those um uh, memes where it's like uh i just found out why the rent is so cheap (laughs) (laughs) what's the one in how i met your mother it's uh dallas at trepla or they it's like downwind from the sewage plant or something (laughs) oh yeah. yeah they're like oh no because it smells like trash every every day okay no but this moment was really funny because as you know colonel mcnamara or uh you know mr Uh, one-dimensional mustache twirly villain is over here lecturing buffy i loved anthony head's decision to play giles in a very casual way because you'll notice that Giles is very intentional in stepping back and letting Buffy handle a lot of this stuff. And he looks just absolutely aggravated with this, not concerned, not scared, because he's sitting there going, Buffy's going to get out of this. Buffy's going to kick his butt. We're going to make it through, but this guy is slowing us down. And yet another 
old white dude is underestimating Buffy and mansplaining to her her job. You can just tell that Giles is just so fed up with this. And it it just was so funny. You could read it on his face and in his mannerisms. So good. So back in like the system room or whatever that is, there's so many different rooms in the initiative. I, I like was like, okay, uh, the, the room with the supplies, the room with the control room, like 314. I had to like <laughs> keep breaking each room into different things. Well, it's stupid because why is there a whole electrical control panel in the secret room that Maggie built? Was she planning on controlling the whole initiative from there? That makes no sense. She wouldn't because that makes it super obvious that there's a secret room back there. It's dumb. <laughs> dumb, dumb. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Buffy knocks out the poor dude who's working the controls. Um, and then Will starts working the system. And the whole open arena that looks like – I don't even know. The saran wrap on the floor, that whole area oh, yeah, is like open foil up. pit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I will say it's never looked cooler with explosions and fire. I almost I believe this was a government wrap? facility. Oh, like it, it yeah. actually looked, you know, somewhat legit. The whole budget for the season went into like the explosions and all that and not into the writer's <laughs> paychecks. No, no, no. The whole budget went into Spike's random slow-mo of kicking different monsters. I saw that. I was like, why are we making Spike look all victorious? We are he's the reason we are here. Yeah, he's literally the reason. Yes. Oh my word. <laughs> they did it like Gosh, twice too. I was real. like, okay, we are focusing on the wrong characters in this in this episode. Also, I do think it's hilarious that Buffy isn't at all wondering where Riley is or afraid that he might be down there. I mean, I know he's- She doesn't care, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, well, fine by me. He can go away yeah. for a pity party. <laughs> <laughs> well, the gang figures out that they need to cross this whole uh, arena or whatever, um, tinfoil area, to get to 314. <laughs> Um, and as they do so, it's like everyone's fighting and shooting and yet no one's getting hit that we care about. And I just love the whole like character armor and these we're, situations. We're back to Hellmouth, tentacle beasts and velociraptor noises. It's prophecy Gross. girl all over again. They run to the supply room that's like kind of like a closet, but bigger for some reason. And then they lock it and barricade it. Um, and then Buffy leaves through the back door to get to 314. Buffy sees Riley just sitting there staring. Um, uh, she does what every person does <laughs> when you enter a room and you're like, Riley! And you're like, shh. <laughs> Clearly, they are baits. You be quiet. You sneak in. Yeah. You get them out. You go. Like, she's like, yeah. clump, clump, clump. Adam's like, oh, I wonder if, if he Buffy's doesn't respond here. right away, I my like spidey sense would be tingling. I'd be like, okay, so clearly someone's watching or like. Riley is not in the secret laboratory just chilling because he wants <laughs> to like get away from you. I'm He's sorry. Like, that'd be funny. I won't say when, when she comes in. <laughs> I feel like they intentionally dumped her down to make Riley not seem super stupid. Like, I feel like, <laughs> like she's just making, like, stupid mistakes. Yeah, they're like, okay, um, Riley and Adam are dumb, so we got to make Buffy slightly dumber. But, like, seriously, what does Buffy think Riley's doing? Just chilly. He's like, gosh, I need some time alone, Buffy, so let me go find the <laughs> secret. Give me the silent treatment. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I know, I know I made you upset. Actually, that'd be so freaking funny. Wait a minute. I know. Imagine <laughs> if they had a fight the episode beforehand, and Buffy comes in thinking that he's giving her the silent treatment. She's like, goes on this whole long rant. Like, like, it seems like a season one Buffy thing where she's like, I know I made you upset and I'm so sorry and you have every right to not talk to me. And then all of a sudden, like, 
Adam comes in and she realizes like <laughs> he's like paralyzed or whatever. That'd be so funny. She's like, I, I know you said I love you and I didn't say it back, but uh-huh. gosh, like you just <laughs> exactly where she's like rambling. Oh, she's I know. Like, she's like, say something, say anything. And, and he's Adam just sitting there like- not moving. <laughs> and he's like, I really would like to be alone right now, Buffy. I have my new family. Guys, oh, talk about the freaking dialogue because freaking Adam, brother Adam comes in. Brother and- <laughs> what are we? What are we Mormon now? <laughs> That's what he referred to him as brother. And then and then he's like, He's like trying to convince her to, you know, be on their side or whatever. And then Buffy's like, sorry, I don't follow the rules. I'm not somebody who toes the line. And he goes, oh. As if he wouldn't know that. Like, be for real. And he's like, kill her. Like, are you? Oh, my god. Yeah, he did all this work to get her down there just for him to be like, kill her. As if he wouldn't know that. Come on. Yeah, okay. So it's it's a stupid scene. But what they're trying to do – so they had cut out um, a line where Adam says um, he's not programmed to. He's part of the final phase now as you were supposed to be. And then Buffy says me. And then Adam says you should be fighting the demons, evening the kill ratio. And she says, sorry, maybe it's a slayer of me, but I don't jump through hoops on command. I've never been one to toe the line. And I wish they had kept that line because it makes it a little clear why Adam just jumps straight to killing her. She's not predictable. She can't be controlled and she won't follow orders, unlike literally everyone else in that room. But how is this different? How is this any different than Maggie Walsh's storyline with Buffy where she's like, oh, Buffy can't be controlled, so therefore I'm going to kill her? Like, I legitimately don't know why they thought this was more compelling. Like, I mean, Walsh is literally right there just in zombie form. Like, this just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it honestly... It's astounding to me that the same creators and writers who made this season made the rest of the show. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's genuinely baffling. This is just a mess. This is so bad. Oh, you guys. I can't. Okay. We got this. We got this. Power through. Well, freaking zombie forest comes in too and he's like i thought you never ask when he tells her to kill her i'm like okay forest yes we know know you're so excited right now but like for real we're still (laughs) in the room yeah tuck it away (laughs) um and then (laughs) and then like (laughs) buffy like kicks mother maggie and then she goes flying mother zombie i'm like oh mommy zombie Mommy and zombie then, and brother brother Forrest, brother Adam. <laughs> brother Adam, zombie Forrest. He doesn't get a cool nickname. He's just zombie Forrest. Um, and then back in the supply room, we have them starting to do the spell. They mention the, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. Um, okay, okay. They actually had originally different words for this. So Willow, what she says on the episode is, the power of the slayer and all who wield it last to ancient first, we invoke the grant us thy domain and primal strength. Accept us and the powers we possess. Make us mind and heart and spirit join. Let the hand encompass us and do thy will. Um, But what the script says is by the generous will of the ancients, the almighty power of the divine spirits, your supplicants humbly beseech thee to behold us and that which we possess, the moieties of the one, the avatar. Um, they changed that a lot to make it about invoking the first slayer and the line of the first slayer versus just random spirits, which I really appreciate. And instead of calling her the avatar, she is the vessel, which all of that is like really 
really important. Um, and I'll talk about it in a second. But the the verbiage they changed is way better. Oh, okay. So they're still fighting. And then Forrest is like, watch me kill your girlfriend. That's in order. And then that's what gets Riley to be like, I'm going to grab this glass and then cut open my left chesticle and get the chip out. Chesticle, my left pectoral. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then back at the supply room, they're just like passing out tarot cards just for funsies. Um, They're like, let's play a card game while we're waiting for Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) What's my future look like, actually? <laughs> Man, Bobby's taking forever there. This reminds me of Doomed. Is it Doomed? Oh no, it's Superstar where they're all sitting around like, "Man, gosh, really wish we could help Buffy, but like we can't. Gosh, she's got to do it by herself." No, but um in all seriousness, the contrast between the initiative's monsters that they've created with this toxic family system that obeys orders and doesn't think individually and then the Scoobies. There's this idea that like Adam and Forrest are created from individual parts to all be the same, yet the Scoobies combine their individual talents and strengths to come together to aid Buffy. They do not change who they are. Together, they are stronger because of who they are as individuals. I was reading this thing, and they were talking a lot about how they think that Buffy was really struggling with her like she was very obviously struggling with her identity this season and she was trying to make her own way and like how in fear itself she was talking about how she's afraid about being alone and she's afraid of having to do things alone and being unloved and and like left alone and this is such a cool full circle moment of her friends coming together and showing how they are stronger together and we we every every single Uh, season finale, there's always some sort of theme about being stronger together, how Buffy really can't do it alone. Like that, that's the opposite of what the Slayer is supposed to be. The Slayer is supposed to be doing these things as she alone, the only one. And so the fact that you have the Scoobies all joining her in this moment, it just, it makes it really cool, especially after seeing everybody um, all fractured in this season. Yeah. You know, this is what we wanted. Although it's nice to see I, – or I would want to see the gang like fighting, fighting together. But I like that they're right. having like a second front where they can like support her. But the fact that Buffy speaks in Sumerian, that's Giles's aspect. The very – like the changing the bombs to doves and stuff, that is Willow. So like there's like different aspects of each one's power that she's taking, which I Please thought was Xander. really cool. <laughs> yeah. No, Xander's there. Xander's a, the He's important. huge part of the group um, and then only mentions the other essence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing something to contribute. Um, Markfield writes, Buffy had to unify her mind, heart, and spirit. This is accomplished via metaphor with each member of the Scooby gang serving as a representation of a particular aspect of Buffy. That this unification spell was an essential step for Buffy can hardly be doubted. It involves integrating essential features of her authentic self. Here's Joss talking about identity in his 2013 Wesleyan University commencement address. He says, to accept duality is to earn identity, and identity is something that you are constantly earning. It is not just who you are. It is a process that you must be active in, and it's not parroting your parents or even the thoughts of your learned teachers. It is, now more than ever, about understanding yourself so you can become yourself. Um Mark Field also talks about how and how he reads the episode. Becoming the Slayer is a metaphor for becoming a true adult. We saw that in season three, like the prom with Buffy graduating um, and becoming even more uh, integrated with her shadow self and becoming more of a Slayer. Um, He says, thus, in order to defeat Adam, a metaphor for the false adulthood college 
and society try to force upon us, Buffy unifies her heart, mind, and spirit, which enables her to call upon the powers of true adulthood, which is kind of a cheesy way of saying it, but I thought that was kind of cool. True adulthood, Buffy. Look at her. She's she's uh, doesn't need to learn anything else. The show can end after this, guys. Isn't yeah. that great? <laughs> this is the finale. We're done after this. Yay! This is wonderful, wonderful season finale. I feel so fulfilled. <laughs> Um, that Buffy gets held down by three of the zombie people, and then Riley somehow comes out bleeding from his chesticle, and then um, <laughs> Riley and Forrest fight as Buffy leaves towards the control room with Adam. Um, then Buffy and Adam have their big face off, where Buffy breaks off his stick arm and he grows back a massive gun arm. <laughs> Okay, did anyone else get an ick when Adam said, I've been upgrading, and then gave her like this? No, oh my gosh. Because <laughs> that hibernation like, I don't one. know why they, they choose to make like him oddly sexual. Like, it's just like they, <laughs> no, but I'm serious. They give him like weird lines that are like sexual innuendos and. Uh, I don't know. It's really weird. It's maybe all it's a be- penis metaphor. Maybe. Ugh, Even always. the stick, he grew but, back a gun. Maybe yep, maybe it, it could be the fact that they're trying to draw like a parallel between him and Riley and how they both kind of have this fascination for Buffy. I don't know. Like I, I <laughs> hope that there's some sort of idea there, but it just comes off as pervy. Like it's just weird. I think I think you're giving him way too much credit. I think if he had been pervy, he would have been a little bit more interesting than what he is now. Frankly, he's just a wooden cardboard cutout of nothing. He's, he's so boring. Yes, seriously. It is really cool how they overlap all four of the characters' voices saying the lines. Like you can hear Willow and Giles and Xander in there as well as Buffy speaking. So um, the English translation of what Buffy is saying is, we are heart, we are mind, we are spirit. From the raging storm, we bring the power of the primeval one. And then Adam, dull as ever, interesting. And then he fires his machine gun oh at Buffy. Oh my gosh, interesting. As if you wouldn't know. <laughs> we, this is like, the scene is supposed to be the literal magic versus science, masculine versus feminine energy here. Um, Buffy, again in Sumerian, says, boil the air. The bullets dissolve into tiny white clouds. Um, and then he's like, very interesting. And then we have, uh, oh yeah, and then we cut back to... 314. Oh, we always have the good parts, and then we have to cut back to the annoying parts. And then Riley blows up Forrest. Oh, although, look, it was clearly a dummy when that happened. Like, it was like actually <laughs> really embarrassing. I was like, come on, guys. Uh, so Buffy starts controlling his weapon arm, and bullets start flying, and yet she changes them into doves, and then they fight super quickly. I was like, come on, she's juiced up now. Why can't they- if this be the I part know. where I'm, I'm like expecting some like big like fight scene and it was over so quickly and even before she like like wouldn't it be cool if it was like rapid fire punching and then she breaks right into it and it they angled the shot like in his eyes of being shocked that she like so quickly like dug her hand into his chest but it was like a slow-mo and she digs it in and they just stare at each other for like a long time before she pulls it out. And I just was like, that's so lackluster. I wanted something, you know? But it's also weirdly sexual. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think Everything you're the about- only one thinking this, Leah. No, I'm. there's no way. They, the way they made stuff with Adam is weird. It's just weird. <laughs> Especially since he's brothers with Riley. Like the incest here is just uncomfortable. <laughs> They, well, sister they are wives. women. Yeah. 
brother husbands, literally. <laughs> Shout out to Chrissy for for that wonderful uh, Yoko Factor reference there. Um, no, I, yeah, this she was so cool and so juiced up, and we watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons we watch is to watch Buffy kick bad guys' butts. And um, this was too short compared to how many other scenes we had to suffer through. Um, fun fact. So in this year's Girl, Buffy compared Adam to the Terminator. Uh, in that film, the Terminator, you know, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, because, you know, we all don't know that who that is. He actually made his first kill by punching through the chest of an L.A. punk. The actor who played that L.A. punk was Brian Thompson, the guy who played Luke and the judge. Isn't that crazy? Huh. Um, the moment that Riley enters in and Buffy's standing there with her, like, orangey eyes just, like, like watching it, I, I've always found it very strange that Riley is not freaked out by this. But, I again, okay – he he did just witness like three zombie people and yeah this is not like, he's not phased he, by his girlfriend having yellow eyes a little traumatized when Forrest but... was literally half yellow so he's like uh, whatever <laughs> he's like, this is not the craziest thing I've seen today <laughs> um okay another fun fact so the DVD commentary states that Super Buffy was inspired by the comic book heroine Promethea Promethea is a being that manifests through a series of individuals or vessels who have channeled her energy through the power of imagination Buffy. Is the vessel by which the essence of the Slayer is channeled as she has been channeled by other Slayers. And we've already seen that there is a mystical connection between the Slayers shown through Faith and Buffy's dream connection. So I like how they're kind of advancing the Slayer lore a little bit more because I eat up the Slayer lore. Like, give me more. So Buffy collapses um, and then back in the supply room, the monster a monster breaks her. I'm so over this episode. I'm so Tommy. The script says that Buffy was actually supposed to go kiss him in this moment, and then she she just like, gives up. She's like, "Guys, I'm sorry. I don't want to be doing that. Let me, <laughs> let me." It's more true to Buffy's character that I actually collapse out of exhaustion rather than kiss my boyfriend. I think that sounds about right. <laughs> what was that face, Leah? I just have. I genuinely have no idea what happens in this episode. Like it just like <laughs> I literally think I blacked out. Like I think I watched it and then got to the end. and I was like, I I don't know what happened. Like. It just is such a fever dream. Like, this yeah. episode is harder for me to understand than Restless. Like, Restless seems, like, more logical than this. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Oh, yeah. A monster breaks through the supply room, and I love how none of the gang is even phased. They don't even get up. And then Spike comes in and kills it. And I love how they're just, like, no one's mad at Spike. Everyone's sitting there, and they're like, yeah, you're actually to be blamed for this and he's like yay team let's go fight them all together like and they're like okay whatever like they don't even like i don't have energy for you right now to be honest um and then buffy and riley come um into the room apparently buffy's good i never saw her wake up but that's fine um and then it just like this the most random ending i was like huh like usually you see the gang being all happy and you see like an outside shot that's cheesy music and they're all laughing and like everything's good and it just ends with like the group of like whatever commanders i don't know soldier people and the script calls them shadowy suit higher ups (laughs) sounds about right every time i'm trying to describe something i'm like i don't even know what this is let me describe it and sound dumb yeah Um, and they're like oh this experiment failed um, and they give these random civilians credit as if people don't know who the Slayer is. And then they're like, the conclusion is demons can't be controlled. Um, so we're going to tank this. We're going to 
bury it and burn it and ignore that it ever even existed. But we'll monitor the civilians to make sure that they don't go around telling people things. I'm like, as if you wouldn't like interrogate them, make sure that they don't go around like spilling secrets, like be for real. This feels like the show being like, guys, the initiative storyline tanked and didn't work. So we're just going to like end it here, wrap it up so that the next episode and going forward, we can kind of just not talk about the initiative anymore and focus on other things. And yeah, they're right. It definitely failed. Um, Fun fact, Bob Thimiani the actor who plays Mr. Ward, the guy who gives this voiceover at the end, one of the suits. He also portrayed the unidentified groundskeeper over on Angel in The Prodigal. He's the guy that uh, when Angel rises from the grave after Darla turns him, he bites a groundskeeper and he's the first death that Angelus slash Angel ever commits. And it's the same actor, which is kind of crazy. The whole clockwork orange idea that was introduced in the episode The Initiative comes full circle in this moment. The Initiative now knows that nature can't be changed, that who people are will always shine through. The Initiative may be able to control the body, but not the will. And that's a really interesting concept to carry with us into the next few seasons, especially with characters like Riley and Spike. So just keeping that in mind. Also, Graham is the goat. Did you guys see him? He's like running around and he sees Riley and oh, immediately yeah, I stops. Saw that. Yeah. He was also such like a badass. He was like running around and like fighting a ton of people too. Like he was really doing doing the most and being good at it. So proud. <laughs> I hope he stays for season five. Come on, Graham. And then it fades to black. Nothing else of note. <laughs> They're like Maggie Walsh's vision was brilliant, but ultimately unsupportable. I was like, was it brilliant? Was, was it, it? giving her far too much credit here? <laughs> Are you trying to gaslight me in this moment? Like for real? Burn it down and salt the earth. I was like, amen. As long as we don't have to talk about the initiative again, I will be so happy. <laughs> Guys, we did it. Round of applause and everybody breathe a sigh of relief. Give yourself a high <sighs> five. We did it. Guys, we made it through the season four initiative arc. We don't have to talk about it again. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Next time we're going to talk about Restless. Um, Just for those of you guys who are Buy Me A Coffee supporters, we will not be having a spoiler section on Prime Evil because we are gearing up for our live spoiler event for Restless. Um, A lot of the stuff that's going to be talked about in this episode will also be talked over in Restless. So we figured we'll just combine those two. As always, if you guys want to support us, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Uh, Thanks so much to you guys that already are. Uh, Going into season five, I know quite a few of you guys are waiting until season five to join our Scoobies because there's a lot of really fun spoiler stuff to talk about there. But until then, guys – Thanks so much for listening. Uh, You guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast, and you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Also, email us your guys' questions, your thoughts for Restless. Is there anything you guys want us to talk about in particular? Anything that you, any questions you have concerning the episode, any uh, thoughts or input or whatever that you want to give, definitely email us or DM us on Instagram and we will read it aloud uh, for Restless or we will research it and talk about it and stuff. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.